0: Hey, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to begin today. And uh, for those of you who are brand new, maybe here for the baby dedication, welcome. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And it's been my joy for the last six weeks to teach through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6. And today we enter Matthew chapter 7, and we've taken three weeks in every chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. In January, we studied Matthew chapter 5 in a sermon series that we called the New You Resolution. And we looked at how Jesus said we could become new people in Matthew chapter 5. Last month or the last 3 weeks as we moved through February, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 in a series that we called winning over worry and stress. And we looked at everything that Jesus had to say about managing stress, overcoming anxiety, and living a life that wasn't highly impacted by worry. Beginning today and going the next three weeks in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to do a a kind of a unique series that's titled, Losing My Religion. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was talking to a group of people who were highly religious in their activity, highly religious in their upbringing, but they had no real connection to God. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7 and moving through the end of the chapter said you're going to have to figure out how to lay aside your religion and connect to God. The goal of the next three weeks is to help you not be more religious, but to help you connect to God in a more meaningful way on the inside of your life, as we just sang from the inside out, connect to God with your heart, not just your schedule. So we start in Matthew chapter seven. We'll read verses seven through 14 and we'll come back and look at them a little bit at a time. If you haven't yet, reach inside your bulletin, grab those sermon notes and a pen so you can take notes. Our ushers have Bibles. If you need Bibles, they're gonna walk down the aisle. Just wave at them. They'll give you a Bible so you can study along with us today. We've given away... More than 600 Bibles since our church began two and a half years ago. If you want to use one today, just let them know. If you, if you would like one to keep, put your name in it and take it home with you and start reading it. But we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7, come back through verse 14. And even if you just got a Bible, just go ahead and open it and keep it right there. We'll be there all morning long. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Circle or underline or highlight that word life. That's going to be the key of the next three weeks. Jesus is telling us how to have true spiritual life, not just religious activity. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You know, as I started last fall studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, to truly understand for me first and then for our church what God wanted me to share with our church. I felt like God wanted me to teach a chapter at a time and I felt like God gave me a good capsule on the series. But Matthew chapter 7 is one I had to dig deep into to really figure out the distinction between what what Jesus was saying about dropping religion to engage more in a relationship with him and how in the world I was supposed to know how to do that and figure that out. And the answer, as I studied through Matthew chapter 7, became pretty clear for me. And here's what I found out, and and this can kind of go both ways. Point number one, I found out in Matthew chapter 7 as I read that where you come from does not determine who you are spiritually. Now that's both one of the most awesome things you can ever hear and at the same time, it can be one of the most challenging things that you ever hear. You say, Christian, why is that? Because from those of us who do not come from a faith background, for those of us who maybe have come in from come from broken homes and dysfunctional situations, for those of us who were not raised with any type of religious activity or faith in our life, we didn't grow up with mom and dad taking us to church and vacation Bible school. For those of us who between the ages of 13 and 21, 23, 25, lived a little on the wild side, lived a little on the reckless side, did things that we're not proud of. Maybe we got a mugshot hanging down at the courthouse to hear that who we were, does not determine who we are spiritually going forward, that's like one of the most encouraging things that you can possibly hear, that regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've come from, you can begin a relationship with God and move forward. I don't know that there's anything more exciting that you can hear than that. But this is also a very challenging statement. Because Jesus wasn't giving this to, to kids who'd not been raised in church or kids who'd been raised in broken homes or people who had come through very difficult times and failed marriages and failed businesses and failed morality. Jesus was talking to people who had been raised around spiritual things and religious things. And Jesus was saying to them, you're counting too much on your spiritual heritage for your spiritual life. And at some point you have to own your spiritual life for you. It doesn't matter who your granddaddy is. It doesn't matter who grandma is. It doesn't matter what position dad served at this church. It doesn't matter how many verses you memorized in a wand or how many Bible quizzing meets you won. your spiritual past that you were raised in cannot determine the rest of your spiritual future. At some point you have to step into who God is for you and engage in a relationship with God. So we've got both this awesome and challenging thought that where you come from doesn't necessarily determine who you are spiritually. Look at Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. As I read through this, God showed me the first instance of this where Jesus pulled this out the first, for the first time in his teaching, but then it's threaded throughout the rest of the New Testament teaching. And verse 11, Jesus says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want you to underline the words father in heaven or highlight them or circle them or write them on your sermon notes because this concept of a father in heaven, this concept of a, of a direct connection to God who's in heaven didn't fit into the religious practices of the Jews at the time of Jesus. This wasn't something that they grasped. As a matter of fact, they had, they had learned to, in their mind, feel connected to God without ever having to really connect to God. As a matter of fact, they had a different connection point, And you see it weave throughout the New Testament where Jesus is arguing with them about this thought that you've got this religion that makes you feel close to God, but you are refusing to connect directly to God. The way that God wants you to in Luke chapter 3 John the Baptist is introducing Jesus ministry to the world and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees the religious leaders of the day. Those would be like the, the professors and those with master's degrees and doctorate degrees were, were talking to John about who the Messiah was going to be and what they needed to change spiritually and John said in Luke 3 8 produce fruit in keeping with repentance basically show that your heart is changed and just and don't just say to yourselves we have abraham as our father if that's on your sermon notes you need to underline that line we have abraham as our father for i tell you that of these stones god can raise up children from abraham jesus later in john chapter 8 when he was trying to help the pharisees understand their blindness their connection to religion rather than their connection to god jesus said in john 8:19 You don't know me, and you don't know my father, Jesus replied. You're not close to God, is what he was saying. You're very religious, but you're not close to God, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. I'm telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you're doing what you've heard from your father. And they said in verse 39, there it is again, you should underline. Abraham is our father, they answered. The spiritual connection of the Jewish people in Matthew chapter 7 was not to God, and it was not through Jesus. Their spiritual connection was really not a spiritual connection, but a religious connection. They they had connected to the religion of Abraham without connecting to the God of Abraham. And what's really interesting, if you just listen throughout the New Testament, you'll hear these thoughts of of Father Abraham, and Abraham's our father, and, and Jesus said, well, God wants to be your father, and I want to be your spiritual connection. And they said, no, we'll just keep Abraham. If you listen closely to people talk, your spiritual connection, the spiritual connection that you talk about will actually tell you a lot about your spiritual mindset and whether you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus or whether you are resting on the religion maybe of your past. Let me say that again. Your spiritual connection will tell you a lot about your spiritual mindset. And if you just listen to how you communicate your spiritual experience, your words will tell you a lot about whether you're pursuing a relationship with Jesus or whether you're resting on the religion of your past. Now, in Jesus' time, the phrase was, Abraham is our father. Kind of like we have connected to the religion of Abraham And they had kind of just, as long as they had the religion of Abraham, they didn't need the God of Abraham. In our day, the language is different, but similar. And here's what I mean by that. Every time I sit down with someone who's new to journey, uh, we sit down and we talk for the first time. I say, tell me just a little bit about your spiritual history. And I can always tell where they are spiritually by what they connect to spiritually. Um, and, And here's exactly what I mean by that. Last Sunday night, Danielle and I had an opportunity to lead Pastor Ryan's small group. He was in South Africa with his wife, Heather. Uh, and the way we started the small group, because I, I didn't know intimately everyone who was at the Bible study, so I just said, hey, let's get to know each other a little bit. So I started by saying, we're, we're going to go around the circle and I just tell us what your favorite two movies of all time are, because I thought this will just, it'll be fun and it'll tell us a lot about the people in the group. And one of the last guys in the group basically said, you know, the Terminator movies, um, kind of anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it are kind of my favorite movies. Uh, and one of the guys in the room said, well, you know, what about Kindergarten Cop? And we all started kind of giving our favorite Kindergarten Cop lines. And I was like, it's not a Tuma." And somebody was like, who is your daddy and what does he do? You know, and, and we're all just laughing. But I thought about that question, who's your daddy? And that's why I titled today's Bible, say, Who's Your Daddy? I thought, this is, this is it. This is the concept Jesus was talking about. Who do you say is your spiritual connection? Who's your spiritual daddy? Because that will tell you a lot about where you are spiritually in your relationship with Jesus. Because here's what it sounds like. When I ask someone, tell me what's going on in, in your life spiritually. Um, they'll say, oh, I was, I was raised in a Baptist church um, all my life. Or they'll say, oh yeah, I was, um, I was saved and." Went down the altar here. Or they'll say, I was baptized here. Or they'll say, I did my, um, my confirmation classes here. Um, or they'll say, oh, my, you know, my grandma and grandpa went to church here. Or they'll say, oh, I was raised Catholic. Or, oh, I was raised this. Or, oh, I was, and what they'll do is they'll connect their, their, their spirituality to an institution rather than a person. And I'm always listening for people who will talk to me about Jesus instead of religion. And rarely do I, do I get someone who really talks about what's happening in their life with Jesus. But anytime somebody starts talking about Jesus, I know a transition has been made that Jesus was trying to make in Matthew chapter 7. Because as you look on your, your outline, somebody who has a relationship with Jesus, our second point today, is just different spiritually than a person who has religious beliefs. She says, says who? Says Jesus. Look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14 again, because Jesus... From this point forward, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in his ministry, he's going to he's going to cut a dividing line between people who are really pursuing a relationship with God versus those who just want some religion so they can so they can feel okay with God. And here's what Jesus says in verses seven, uh, chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen: Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus said, listen, there's a lot of religious people in the world. As a matter of fact, there's more than a hundred world religions in our world, and there's probably a dozen major world religions that have, you know, more than 25 million people. There's a lot of religious people. But Jesus said, I'm not asking you to be a religious person. I'm asking you to have a relationship With me, And as as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see from this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to describe two different types of spiritual people. Specifically in Matthew chapter 7. Group 1 is he's going to talk about people with religion. In the next three weeks, we're we're going to explain to you what people with religion are missing spiritually, according to the words of Jesus. But then group number 2, he talks about people who have a relationship with God. And what he says about people who have a relationship with God versus what he says about people who just have religion, its their spiritual experience is, is as different as night and day are. And Jesus is going to describe religion as the broad path. He introduces it as a path anyone can take, but it doesn't lead you to God. Dr. John MacArthur says about this broad path, the way that is broad is easy, attractive, inclusive, All you need to do is profess Jesus or at least be religious and you're readily accepted into that large and diverse group. Sin is tolerated. Truth is moderated. Humility is ignored. God's word is praised but not studied. His standards are admired but not followed. This way requires no spiritual maturity, no more character, no commitment and no sacrifice. So Jesus says religion, I mean, really sounds good, looks good on the outside but on the inside, it's empty. But Jesus gives us this truth that a life with Jesus, which is different, is marked by, is summarized by, could be characterized by this word relationship. And it's interesting because Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. This word enter means step into. It's it's the thought of getting engaged. That's what it means. When Jesus says enter The narrow path. He's he's not saying to just go through. He's saying, you are accepting my proposal to walk with you the rest of your life. It's as if God got down on one knee with the cross of Jesus Christ and said, will you marry me? Will you step into a lifelong relationship with me that for the rest of our life is each of us living every day for each other. Now, in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus, in a different context, is giving the same thought, but he changed his message, or at least Luke gave us a little different twist on it that really brings this message to light. Because in Luke 13, verse 24, Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter but they won't be able to. So this was a common theme of Jesus, this this narrow gate. Strive. This word strive, in the Greek language, the, the original Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek. The original Greek word for strive here is the word agonizomai. If you just broke it down into English, it sounds like agonize. Oh my. You know, I mean, it's not a, it's not a good thing, right? This word means conscious, purposeful, and intense effort. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this sound like your Christianity? Jesus says, down on a knee, will you marry me? Now, if you say yes, that means that you are purposefully and intentionally and intensely going to enter into this relationship with me for the rest of your life. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, the Apostle Paul used this exact same Greek word, but it was the word compete. The Apostle Paul said, everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. Now, the Apostle Paul at the times, was speaking of basically the Greek, the, the Greek Olympics. They were called the Isthmian Games. The Romans had the Olympic Games. The Greeks had the Isthmian Games. And the top athletes from the world would come. Some of you have been watching the Winter, the winter Olympics, the top athletes in the world. Can you imagine if, if the athletes representing the United States in the Winter Olympics... Put as much time as they're competing in the Olympics as you put into your walk with Jesus, how many medals would we have as a country right now? That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. The effort that an Olympian puts into a triple axle, the effort an, that an Olympian puts into the bobsled, the effort that an Olympian puts into the luge, the effort that an Olympian puts in, that's the type of effort God wants you to commit to spiritually when you say yes to Jesus. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul uses the exact same Greek word that's translated fight, fight the good fight of the faith. What does it mean? Put intense effort into trying to be the best Christian you can be. The bottom line, if we just put it into simple English terms, is that Jesus is saying, if you really want to be close to Jesus, you have to try. If you really want to be close to Jesus, you have to try. And it's funny how many people will walk an aisle, say a prayer, get baptized and put zero effort into anything else spiritually. There are people who are holding tightly to religion, but they're not pursuing intensely relationship with Jesus. And it's not just Jesus. I mean, when you just think about relationships in general, if you don't try in your marriage, your marriage is going to fail. If you try in your marriage, but your spouse doesn't try in your marriage, it's going to be a long road of it. If you don't try in your parenting, you're going to have a tough go of it with your kids. If you don't try at your job or you're an employee, employer, and none of your employees try, that's going to be a bad relationship. If you're a coach or an athlete and you have someone on your team that doesn't try or doesn't care, or if you're a teacher and you have a kid in your class that doesn't try or doesn't care, or if you're an administrator and you have a teacher that doesn't try or doesn't care, that relationship is not going to last very long or be very healthy. Yet Jesus said the church is filled with people who have said yes to to Jesus, whatever that means, but they don't try or care about their relationship with him. And Jesus will later say that type of faith will fall when it is tested. We'll study that in two weeks. He says next week, that type of faith, some people are going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say that wasn't real faith at all. You can't even enter into eternity. You didn't have the real thing. I don't know that there's a more important three weeks for understanding and working through our faith than what we'll learn in Matthew chapter 7. Because Jesus says, if you really want to go all the way with God, you have to try. And here's how you know if you're gaining in your relationship with Jesus. People who have a relationship with Jesus, they talk to him about life. And they hear from him about life. You know, last week in our small group, and this was the third conversation that I had had in the last three weeks, but one of the guys in the small group, as, as he was just talking through how he's been growing spiritually lately. He said, you know, I used to always hear people say that they, like they, like God spoke to them. And I always thought that was kind of weird because I'd never really had that happen to me. Like, you know, God doesn't really talk to me. But he said, as I started reading my Bible and I started listening to Christian music, he did a Christian radio challenge. And as I started trying to memorize the Beatitudes, he said, like, I'd be at work and I'd be in a situation where I remembered one of those verses. And I'd I'd be riding in the car with my kids and my kids would ask me something and I remembered something that I had heard spiritually or I'd be at a certain point and and I'd remember something that I heard on the radio. And he said, I realize that's how God speaks. Like he speaks to you. He helps you remember stuff. Like he's not just audibly talking, but he helps you remember stuff. I had a, a young man that I met with three weeks ago who... Christmas day had a very close relative of his die. And he said, I was sitting at the funeral and he said, you know, Christian, I grew up in church and been down the, the aisle and, you know, said the prayer and did all that stuff, but never really felt connected to God. And he said, I'm sitting at this funeral and the pastor's talking about having a real relationship with God. And he said, I don't know how to explain, explain it because I've never really felt God and I've never heard God talk to me. But he said it like, like on the inside, like I just felt something on the inside. Like it was like a switch spiritually came on and like I, just, like I just felt God on the inside. He said, does that sound weird? I said, let me tell you how non-weird that sounds. John Wesley, who's maybe one of the most impactful Christians who's ever lived, wrote in his journal that the day he became a Christian, he felt strangely warm on the inside as he felt the presence of God for the first time, a relationship with God. When you have a relationship with God, you don't just talk to God at church. You don't just talk to God when you pray. You don't just talk to God about spiritual things. You, you talk about life. You know, those of you who know me well know that I'm a, a huge football fan. Um, I love watching college football. I love watching the NFL. I love talking about the game of football with people. And I have I have one friend um, that that I grew up around who, who actually plays in the NFL. He's a tight end for the Carolina Panthers. His name's Ben Hartsock. And when we were younger, we went to different schools, but our sisters went to the same gymnastics place. And we would sit in the stands for endless hours on Saturday and watch our little sisters do gymnastics. Got to know each other pretty well. Um, played played against each other in high school and football and basketball. And a few years ago, the Carolina Panthers came to play the Chiefs. So I sent a text to Ben and said, hey, we're going to be at the game. I'd love to introduce you to my son. And after the game, we met him in the player's parking lot. And you know, when, when I went to see Ben, a huge football fan, spending time with an NFL football player, I didn't ask him about the NFL. I didn't ask him about Cam Newton. I didn't ask him about playing in Arrowhead Stadium. Because we have a relationship, we talked about life. I asked him how his parents were doing. I asked him how his sisters were doing. His brother is married to my very best friend in the world's uh, older sister. Um, He asked me how my parents were doing. He asked me how my little sister was doing. He asked me if I'd been home recently. We talked about our, our high schools that we played. We talked about life because we have a relationship. And what happens is when people have a relationship with Jesus, they talk to Jesus about their job in their stress, in their worries, in in the good times, in the bad times. And they talk to Jesus about their marriage, and they talk to Jesus about their kids, and they talk to Jesus about their finances. Religious people come to church, and they, they sing some songs to Jesus, they hear from Jesus, but they have no relationship with Jesus. And when you begin talking to Jesus about life, and you feel like Jesus is speaking to you about life, you know you have begun to engage the God of the universe in relationship. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And as we go through scripture, we see that a pursuit of Jesus is deep and it's daily people who have a relationship with a good relationship with Jesus is deep and it's daily. Let me take the name Jesus off of it. Let's just talk relationships. Let's just be Dr. Phil for a minute. People who have a great relationship with their spouse have deep and daily relationships. People who are great parents have deep and daily relationship with their kids. People who are doing great in their job are deeply involved in a daily basis on their job. And so so we, th- we understand that the things we're good at and the things we're passionate about, we have to care deeply and we probably have to do them daily. And then we give Jesus an hour a week or we give Jesus two hours a month every other Sunday. I promise you, if, if some of you loved your spouse like you love Jesus, you wouldn't be married very long. Some of you have had a spouse love you like you love Jesus. And you know the pain and the hurt it caused as, as things came to an end. And Jesus says, I want to be engaged in your life on an everyday basis. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul gives me one of the most challenging verses in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. Now, he's one of the most religious people you'll ever meet, according to earlier in Philippians 3. Philippians 3. But Paul said, I want to lay all my religion aside and I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. And I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you what the apostle Paul just said. Because most people, when they give their life to Jesus, when they decide to become a Christian, when they ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin, they do it so they can go to heaven when they die. That's the reason most of us in here entered into a relationship with Jesus. The apostle Paul said, listen, I just want to know Jesus so I can be more like him. And if I go to heaven when I die, that's cool too. But I want to know Jesus so I can become just like him. I want to know Jesus so I can become just like him. And if I go to heaven when I die, that's awesome too. And most of us want to know Jesus so we can go to heaven when we die. And we want to figure out how much do we have to be like him to make sure we go to heaven when we die. You see how his motivation is a little different? than those of us who just want a little religion to give us a little eternity so we can go to heaven. Jesus says, I, I want to be engaged in your life on a daily basis. Paul said, I'm engaging Jesus in my life on a daily basis. The radical thing is a, a life of religion is not marked by relationship. It's marked by rituals. A life of religion is marked by steps that we take. And we've got our little checklist of, you know, you do this and then you do this. And, you, and we're looking, what, what's the next check on the box so I can make sure I hit all the checklist relationships don't exist in checklist relationships exist in life experience Re- religion is marked by rituals such as services oh i go to church on sunday morning oh i go to a small group on sunday night or wednesday night oh i try, I try to serve once a year downtown at the homeless shelter. those are all great services but that is not the the whole sum of having a relationship with jesus a life of religion is marked by rituals like statements the early church called them creeds So they could state what they believed. I believe in God the Father. I believe they would state their creeds. But then after their statement was over, their life kind of went and did its own thing. what's interesting is God has, throughout eternity, God has known there's religion. And he's known that there's a relationship with him. And he's challenged people. He's acknowledged it and said, you choose. In Joshua 24, 15. When God invited people to choose life with him or a life of religion, Joshua said it this way, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you live. But for me and my household, we're gonna serve the Lord. Joshua said, listen, you can serve God or you can choose religion. You can have a relationship with the God of the universe. It takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes purpose, it's hard, but you can choose God and do that or you can just have religion, but you got to choose. Elijah said it this way in First Kings eighteen twenty one on Mount Carmel. He said, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Elijah said, if you, if you want to be close to God on his terms, you can do that the way he says. But if you just want a little religion, you can do that too. God, God has never been afraid to compete against religion because he knows he'll win if people will put their faith in him. What's so sad is that now God is competing with religion inside his own church. For those of you who have been to Israel, God is competing with religion inside his own country. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is, com- is competing with religion when he's saying, y'all have missed a relationship with God because you have a relationship with Abraham. God doesn't want you to be close to Abraham. He wants you to be close to him through Jesus. So if Jesus is your savior and you want to pursue a relationship with Jesus with effort, what does it look like? Let me give you seven tips. And if we just strip these tips spiritually, let me tell you what these tips would be good for. These tips would be good for your marriage. Just take Jesus out and put the name of your spouse in there. These tips would be good for parenting. Just strip the name Jesus and put your kids' names in there. These steps would be good for your job. Just take the name Jesus out and put the name of your boss in there. These tips would be good for your company. If you're an employer, just take the name Jesus and put the names of your workers in. If you want to build great relationship with people, here's some steps that the Bible gives us to do that. Number one, listen for Jesus daily. Listen for Jesus daily. Now, those of us who have kids know how easy it is to tune out voices, right? I mean, I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and every now and then they're talking and I'm not listening. Um, yesterday, I was working kind of all day long after a funeral that we did. And Christian came downstairs and and like I heard him making sound. I saw his mouth moving. I could tell he was asking me something. But I, I was not really present for that conversation. Two hours later, Danielle comes downstairs and says, where's Christian? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, I told him to come uh, ask you. He wanted to go somewhere. He told me he was going to come ask you. Where did he say he was going? I, said, I don't know. And she said, well, like he's not in the house. Do you, do you, did he tell you where he was going? And I said, I don't know. Like I, I honestly was not paying attention. He, he was like the Charlie Brown teacher standing on the steps. Wah, 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 wah. And I probably said, sure, just leave me alone. Every now and then you get to that point with your kids, right? I promise you God is speaking to you on a daily basis. When you open up God's word, he's speaking to you. When you come to church, he's speaking to you. In your spirit, he's speaking to you. A lot of us don't listen for Jesus daily. And and Jesus is poured into our life. And people are saying, man, what have you heard from God lately? And you're, I don't know. Man, what did God say to you at church on Sunday? I can't remember. Hey, what did you get out of small group last week? I don't know. And it's like, it's not that God has been quiet. It's that we're not listening for him. So, if you want to be close to God, if you want to be close to your spouse, if you want to be a good parent. Listen for Jesus daily. Number two, talk to Jesus daily i think I think one one real weight that the church has placed on Christians is the weight of what I would call religious prayer because we try to convince people that that their prayer life like they need to go they need to make a journal and they need to get on their knees and they need to pray out loud, like fervently, maybe even cry a little bit for. Thirty minutes to an hour a day, and like if they do that, that they've got a great prayer life. And everyone is thinking, like one in a million people, one you know one and a half million people pray that way. God's just saying, hey, just holler at me every now and then. If you read through the great men of Scripture, you see them. Just having daily conversation with God, driving down the road, sitting at the desk. Sometimes it's out loud. Sometimes you only think it in your head. Sometimes it lasts a minute. Sometimes it lasts five seconds. But there's this ongoing dialogue with God. God, help me. God, help them. God, what am I going to do? There's this relational thing going on where you're talking to God. And guess what? If you talk to him, he'll talk back if you listen. Number three, invite the spirit of Jesus into the periphery of your life. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? I've realized that we're so impacted by subconscious things around us that we don't understand. For example, uh, many of you right now could sing the last song you heard on the radio, not even remembering that it was the one. It just rolls around in your head. Or if you went and saw the Lego movie and everything is awesome. Like you're going you're gonna to sing that song. Everything is awesome. Like, you know, the rest of the day, the periphery of our life builds routine in our mind. And I believe if you will listen to Christian radio, if you will listen to preaching, um, if you will have some Christian music on, worship music on at your desk or in your iPod, I believe that's going to change your spirit and allow you to be closer to Jesus. I believe if you maybe hang your favorite Bible verse or your favorite uh, scripture quote or pastoral quote on your on your computer monitor at work or on your laptop or you make it your screensaver you have a little bible verse sitting in your car or you have you know a little bible verse hanging in your your bathroom i i believe that we catch things in the periphery And they draw us closer into Jesus rather than having all the things in the periphery that draw us away from Jesus. How many of us have been able to drive down I-70 to Columbia and not see the strip shops in our periphery as we ride down the road of all these streets? See, the periphery has an ability to impact you spiritually, negatively, or positively. Number four, begin to go on group dates with Jesus. Now, another way to say that is join a small group. But when you really begin to develop a relationship with someone, one of the the coolest things in life for human beings is is being engaged in a group where there's great relationship. Not just being with your spouse, but being with your spouse and your best friend and your spouse's best friend and hanging out at the lake or playing volleyball or getting together to watch a movie or watching the Super Bowl. We were created to live within relationships with each other. And if we would engage in relationships where the center of that relationship and that evening and that activity is Jesus, all of us are going to find ourselves closer to Jesus. Number five, begin to consistently serve Jesus in the community, at your work, in your home, at church. Begin to get engaged serving Jesus. It'll make you closer to Jesus. Number six, take a trip with Jesus. I also call this going on a mission trip. leave and specifically go somewhere for the purpose of of being closer to Jesus than you are here. Pastor Ryan and Heather just got back from South Africa. In November, we'll go to Kenya. This summer, we'll go to Guatemala. Next May, we're going to go to Israel. Next November, we're going to go to India. Probably next February, we'll take a group back to South Africa. You're going to have so many opportunities to take a trip with Jesus. And all those things are going to help you do is become better friends with the God of the universe. And then number seven, step into a lifelong commitment with Jesus with effort. Step into a lifelong commitment to Jesus with effort. You see, the God of the universe, according to scripture, sent his son down to heaven to basically do this. The God of the universe sent his son to heaven to get down on one knee and say to humanity, will you marry me? As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, when the end of the world comes, John the Apostle describes God meeting with his people as a wedding. And he refers to God, the groom, Jesus coming down to meet the bride of Christ. This marital relationship, God is saying, will you marry me? Will you partner with me for all of life? Can you imagine men? Let me speak to the men in the room. Can you imagine getting down on your knee, asking your then girlfriend, will you marry me? And she says, yes, and never speaks to you again. Think about that. Now, some of you have had that happen and we'll pray for you about, about how that worked out. But can you imagine? And how many people have done that to Jesus? God says, I, I want you to marry me. And we say, raise our hand. Yes, we will. And then, and then we never engage relationally again. I would say of human beings in a human-to-human relationship, I would say of the girl who said yes to the ring, but no to the relationship, that she didn't mean it. Now, I don't want to judge you spiritually, because that's not my job. But just relationally, when I look at someone who says yes to the promise, but no to the relationship, in my heart I think they didn't mean that. Now, Jesus next week, because he can say it, is going to tell people, you didn't mean that. And, and your, your mouth said yes, your life said no, this ain't going to work. It's an important message you need to hear next week. Because we are trying to build a church of people, not who are religious, but who have a relationship with Jesus. A few weeks ago, we had a girl come to our church for the very first time who'd had some bad church experiences. My wife actually ran into her in the bathroom. She's crying terribly. She's kind of overwhelmed when our worship started. She just, been so long since she was in church, she was just overwhelmed. She just cried most of the morning. And I met her on the sidewalk afterwards and she introduced herself to me and she goes to college out of town. But she said, when I come back from college this summer, she said, I think I'm going to come back. But she said, here's the problem. I don't really like church because I had a bad experience, but I know I need to be close to Jesus. And I looked at her and I said, can I tell you a secret? And she said, yeah. And I said, I don't really like church either because I had a bad experience. I started this one not because I want to be a pastor of the church, but because I want to have a relationship with Jesus and hang out with other people who who feel the same way. And if that's what you want, come hang out with us any Sunday morning. I think you'll enjoy it. We don't want to have a church. We just want to have a gathering of people who all day, every day, are trying to have church in their own lives and trying to get to know Jesus. If we will become that, man, the world doesn't know yet what God can do with a group of people who are all going full steam ahead for Jesus. When they come together and try to do it intentionally together, you're going to change families, homes, neighborhoods, communities, cities, the world. That's ultimately his goal. But it starts with one. It starts with you. Not a religion. Lose the religion. Enter the relationship. Try. Have effort. And watch God radically transform your life. Let's pray.